Let us pray. Our God and Father, we ask for your help now upon the occasion of the public reading of Scripture and its preaching. Lord, we thank you how you have so tenaciously persuaded us that your word is sufficient, that your word is sufficient to reveal to man all that he needs to know concerning salvation, that your word is sufficient for all that we need to know on how to please you, and that your word is sufficient for saving those who are even yet dead in their sins and trespasses. Oh Lord, we thank you. We thank you that it is your zeal that supports your word. We ask that it would please you to come even today in this place and open the heart that is closed, open the heart that is dead, open the heart that is stone and make it flesh. Oh, Father, restore the estranged heart to God, to the living God, to the true authority, the true Savior, the true Lord, the true lover of the soul. Father, we pray that you attend to all the hearts of your believing church. You know how weak our hearts can be, how dull, how inattentive, how easily they ascend to boast in ourselves. Lord, we pray that you would indeed give us a good heart to receive your word now. Minister to us by your Holy Spirit, to your pleasure and glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Acts 16, verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is God's word. Please be seated. This past week I was reading how the prosperity gospel sneaks into churches like our own. Now, the prosperity gospel, as you may know, is not the Christian gospel. The prosperity gospel teaches that once you are reconciled to God, your outward life will prosper. 
The prosperity gospel says God will improve your health, improve your wealth, improve your relationships, improve your opportunities, and on and on it goes. It's all very upwardly mobile. You will be driving a better car, working a better job, wearing a better body, all because Christ has reconciled you to God. This is the prosperity gospel. The reason then to be reconciled to God under this false gospel is to improve your earthly life. That is the prosperity gospel. It teaches if you are suffering, weeping, falling behind, you're doing something wrong. You are not faithful. You may not even have faith. You may still be cut off from God because having God is supposed to improve everything. Ask Jesus Christ if that is true. How does this prosperity gospel sneak into churches like our own? By ideas like this. If you are a faithful Christian, you will be married by the time you are 30. That's prosperity gospel. It is safe but false prosperity gospel in Reformed churches. If you are a faithful Christian, your kids are guaranteed to be believers. Prosperity gospel. If you are a faithful Christian, you will have lots and lots of kids. Prosperity gospel. One more. If you are a faithful Christian, you won't have ADHD. Prosperity gospel. All of these are versions of it. They are all saying Christ has reconciled your sin-sick soul to God to make your physical life in this present age much better. But standing way over here, way over here, is the Bible. The prosperity gospel's way over there. And what we learn in God's word, the Bible, is the true gospel. That we have been fully, finally, and forever reconciled to God, not to obtain glory on earth, but to obtain glory, the glory of Jesus Christ, who is seated in the heavens on the throne at the right hand of God. This glory is not earthly. It is heavenly. Christ has taken our nature to a heavenly throne. Our glory is above, not here below. This means your earthly life will now match his earthly life. Being united to Christ by faith, you are called to suffer first here on earth and only obtain glory after there in heaven. Your mode of existence in this fallen world will be just like his own mode of existence when he was in this fallen world. The glory of the risen Christ is not upon you in this present age. It is in you. The cross of suffering is upon you. Romans 8.17, the apostle says, We are fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Why must the Christian suffer now? To make you into a people 
who believe in and boast in a true hope, a lasting hope, a risen Savior, and everlasting kingdom. That's why you must suffer now, so that you would be delivered from the cunning of the devil who would have you settle and rest in some earthly prosperity. The resurrection of Christ and his kingdom of glory is the enduring strength of the Christian heart. It's called hope. And the Lord in heaven above will see to it that all of his elect children are protected from the destruction of hoping for things in this earth. So the Lord of the church keeps his bride under an earthly cross to keep her hoping in a heavenly glory. This cross of suffering is on the backs of Christ's servants, and we see this in our reading today and in what lies beyond it in this chapter. This cross of suffering is on the backs of Christ's servants. Christ from heaven, with all authority over the earth, directs Paul and Silas and Timothy to the city of Philippi. What is waiting for them in Philippi? Not a welcome parade. Not bouquets of flowers. Not baskets of cheese and wine. Not the mayor ready to hand them the key to the city. None of that is waiting for them in Philippi, but Christ, the risen Lord Jesus, from his throne in heaven, directs them to Philippi. What is waiting for them there are beatings, prison, and a harvest of just a few souls by the preaching of the gospel. And those who are saved they themselves will immediately become associates of the most hated man in Philippi, Paul of Tarsus. He is the man who's regarded as the threat to all commerce in Philippi by the time we are done with chapter 16. Now, was all of this an accident? Was this all a missiological misstep? Who's responsible? Let's see him fired. Were Paul and Silas and Timothy supposed to be somewhere else that would bring the church more earthly glory? Not at all. Look what happened. In verse 6 through 10, we learn that from heaven, Jesus was directing these servants. Jesus was directing them to stay out of some areas in order to bring them to another area. The Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to evangelize in Asia or Bithynia. Instead, Jesus shows them they must go to Macedonia, a region requiring more travel of them to the West, a region much more Roman in culture than Greek, therefore much more unwelcoming. So let's understand what is happening. Christ's servants are forbidden... According to verse 6 through 10, they are forbidden at this time to preach the gospel in Asia, but they wanted to. They are forbidden at this time to preach the gospel in Bithynia, but they wanted to. They are forbidden by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, they were not wrong in wanting to go to a place that God prevented them from going. 
What would have been wrong is them to complain and grumble about being prevented. Or even worse, quitting because they were prevented and going where they wanted to serve. But they knew they were servants, not masters. They served at their master's command, not at their own. So remember, the good we want to do under the kingdom of the cross, the good that we want to do is not always the good we are allowed to do. The will of Christ is the highest good in the kingdom of the cross. Not doing our own will, even when our own will wants to do something good. From heaven, Christ rules and he overrules the advance of his kingdom. You know, we've been praying in this church for maybe a year or more that the Lord would be pleased to plant a Reformed and Presbyterian church in Stevens Point. I got a wonderful letter this week from a new, newly minted minister of our sister denomination, the PCA, James Lima. James and I are friends. We've met several times. James wrote me a letter this week. He said he has just been cleared by his presbytery to go plant a church in Stevens Point. Now, I wanted to plant a church in Stevens Point. I wanted it to be an OPC church in Stevens Point. And then in this letter, not only has James told me about his graduation, his licensure, he then said, John, do you have any of those excellent red Trinity hymnals? Because that will be our songbook in worship. Oh, James, you couldn't have asked for anything better of me. A man after my own heart. It's the hymn book we had under your chairs before we replaced it with this one. This one is better. But that one is very good. I was so encouraged by what the Lord is doing and how he's answering our prayers, even though it's very likely that it will be a PCA church that is planted in Stevens Point and not an OPC church. Beloved, we are servants. We do not conjure our own definitions of how the work of the gospel will look, because when we do, if we do not yield them quickly, when the Lord says no, we are theologians of glory and not theologians of the cross. Christ may lock the door that we've been leaning heavily upon, and he may open the door we had our back turned to. Let's keep praying, but... Keep your eye on Fond du Lac. Keep your eye on De Pere. Keep your eye on New London. Clintonville. Where do you guys live? Wherever you live, keep your eye on it. The Lord wants his gospel to flourish as long as his servants are willing to die. Maybe not in the body, but certainly in the will. Where then do Paul and Silas and Timothy end up, if not Asia, if not Bithynia? They end up in the district of Macedonia, which is on the western side of the Aegean Sea, modern-day Greece. In this district, you find the cities of Thessalonica, Berea, and, of course, the significant Roman city, Philippi. Jesus had brought a vision to Paul in the night where a man from Macedonia 
is urging Paul to come. This man represents the whole church of the region, whether that man is Jesus Christ himself or a servant of Jesus Christ, we do not know. But what we do know is that it is Christ who wants Paul in Macedonia, preaching the gospel. So as quickly as possible, they walk, and then they sail, and they land in the port of Neapolis, and then they walk 10 miles to Philippi with wasting very little time. And what do they find in Philippi? A cross. Brother James Lima, there's a cross in Stevens Point. Christian of the Fox Cities, there's a cross in the Fox Cities. There is no following of Christ except under a cross. They don't find honor. They don't find glory. They don't find appreciation. Influential leading men of the city do not hunger for the truth there. They don't find even a welcome from a thousand men like the man Paul saw in the vision. They don't find a welcome from even a hundred men like the man Paul saw in the vision. They don't find a welcome from even ten men like the man that Paul saw in the vision. Because if there were ten of those kind of men, if there were ten Jewish men, the rabbis would have approved the structure and organization of a synagogue. But there is no synagogue in Philippi. What a desolate place for monotheism. The belief that God is one and there is one God. But there is no synagogue to be found. Instead, there was a small gathering of women outside the city gate, alongside the river. Now, beloved, what you are about to see in the rest of our text this morning, in Philippi, is a congregation of Jesus Christ being born by the wisdom and power of the cross. You and I might think, let's get to Philippi and go schedule lunch with the mayor. Or they have to have some professional sports players there, right? Let's go and try to preach to them. That's all glory. That's all taking the raw material of man's flesh and thinking that we need to set the kingdom on top of it because then the kingdom will be seen. The Lord says, unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it cannot bear much fruit. So they find a gathering of women. A woman, not a man, will be the first living stone placed on the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, in the city of Philippi. This is because the kingdom of Jesus is the kingdom of the cross, where all boasting of men is vacated and the power of God alone receives the glory. Jesus Christ from heaven will stoop down and open this woman's heart. Jesus Christ from heaven will stoop down and count this woman faithful, and what will he do? Fill her house with apostles and prophets and workers of the harvest. The prominent men of the city are passed over for now. This is just like Elijah being sent to the widow of Zarephath. When Jesus used that as an apologetic against their self-righteousness, it says they burned with hatred for him and wanted to kill him on the spot. How wounded is the pride of men 
by the kingdom of the cross. The Lord literally comes down from heaven outside the city of Philippi next to the river, and he comes down and he opens a woman's heart to the preaching of the gospel. And this woman, Lydia, is not even an ideal Roman woman. She is an immigrant from Thyatira, a city 200 miles east of Philippi. Thyatira, according to Homer's Iliad, is where they mastered the extraction of this purple dye from the matter root. This dye business seems to have brought Lydia to Philippi, or perhaps it was her husband's business, and she is now a widow and the owner of the business. Whatever the case may be, Lydia is not the ideal Roman woman. That is not why Christ from heaven opens her heart. According to Cicero, Tacitus, and other Roman writers, the ideal Roman woman does not run a business. She is at home and is only in public if escorted by a male chaperone, preferably her husband. And the ideal Roman woman would not usually talk to a man on her own like Lydia is here talking to Paul. The Lord is not coming to give any glory to that which man gives glory. He takes an immigrant without a husband and opens her heart. But besides all of that, Lydia, to show you how unideal she is, she goes outside the city of Philippi to worship God. Where do you worship the Roman gods? Inside Philippi. All these provincial cities of Rome started with a military garrison and got right to a proper ordering of the worship of the Roman gods because that's what the hope of the garrison was based on, worshiping the many gods of Rome. But Lydia, she goes outside the city to worship God on a Sabbath day. She leaves behind the city because a strong monotheism has taken root in her heart. She turns away from the idols of Rome, away from the people of Philippi, and she goes and prays with devout Jewish women at the river. She is a Gentile God-fearer. We've met some of them earlier in the book of Acts. Gentiles who attach themselves to the Jews and join them in the repudiation of all the idols of Rome. Now, I want to give special attention to the ways of God and salvation by looking at verse 14 a little slower. Because even here, we see the kingdom of the cross. God will not honor the works of men. Let me read it again, verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now let's take some lessons from that one verse on the ways of God and the salvation of sinners. Lydia, our text has just taught us, would not have believed on Christ unless the Lord had opened her heart. Paul is preaching Christ crucified and risen for sinners as the only way of reconciliation to God. But Lydia would not have believed on Christ 
unless the Lord had opened her heart. She would have died in her sins as a devout monotheist. Monotheism is not salvation. Christ is salvation. Lydia's distinguishing characteristics could not do what the inward call of God must do. Open the heart to the glory of God's own son, crucified for sinners and raised up in their nature to the high throne of heaven. And the Lord does not give this inward call to all people. Moses said this, and the Jews should have known it. Deuteronomy 29, verse 2 through 4, And Moses summed, summoned all Israel and said to them, this is after the Egyptian exodus, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand. And that's why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 2, is that they were all baptized into Moses, but many of them perished. The Lord had not opened their heart to the glory of his mercy and his promised redeemer. But he opens Lydia's heart. Beloved, this means that the word without the spirit of the Lord profits man nothing. This means that miracles without the spirit of the Lord profits man nothing. Your friends don't need to see miracles and then they will believe on Christ. They need Christ to come from heaven and stoop low and visit their stony, ugly heart and touch it and open it. It cost him his life to touch such hearts. But he touches them nonetheless, for that's why he gave his life willingly. The word without the spirit of the Lord profits man nothing. The spirit of Christ opens this heart. And all of this means that God will not glorify the flesh. He will not even glorify the flesh of a religious man. Lydia needed to be united to Jesus Christ by faith. And that could only happen if the Lord stooped himself and opened her heart. If he had left her in her monotheistic, devout prayer religion, she would have perished. Paul in Philippians tells the same church when he writes back to them a letter that his monotheistic Jewish life was as devout as anyone you could find Yet it was an utter and absolute hindrance in keeping him from coming to Christ. And he now counts it as dung. God will not glorify the flesh, not even the flesh of a religious man. He glorifies the cross of his son. And that's the message that Paul is preaching by the river. Ministers do not Excuse me, ministers do no good by preaching and teaching unless the inward call of God is added. The Spirit of the Lord, however, we see in our text, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the risen Christ is most pleased to use the word. Did you notice that in the text? Verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention 
to what was said by Paul. He didn't open her heart to separate her from what was being said by Paul, to make her not need what was being said by Paul. He opened her heart to pay attention, and the word there is almost like grasp hold of it and cling to it. Though preaching is nothing but a dead letter when it's alone, it is the power of God when the spirit of the risen Christ attends upon it. And preaching is his pleasure to attend upon, though it is foolish. You are attending upon right now, Paul says to the Corinthians, one of the most foolish things that is happening in the world, the ministry of preaching. But verse 14 and many others confirm to your spirit that the living Christ in heaven is most pleased to save and come to the heart through the ministry of the word. So let us understand the ministry of men is joined to the ministry of the spirit. Let us not separate them. Let us not be fanatics. Fanatics came out of the Protestant Reformation. They said, we don't need the ministry of men. We will sit and chant ourselves into revelations. How silly. Let us not be among their number or be their heirs. And so Lydia, receiving the inward call of the spirit of the risen Christ, him stooping down and touching her own heart, she is suddenly given a reverence for the word of God, so much so that the voice of a man now pierces her mind. I want to say one more thing about verse 14, and please listen to the end because it's going to sound unusual at the beginning. Beloved, the Lord does not open Lydia's heart to make her a Christian, though that is one result of the Lord opening her heart. The Lord does not open Lydia's heart to stun us with the wonders of sovereign grace, though that is one result of the Lord opening her heart. The Lord opens Lydia's heart for a much more foundational reason, a reason much more foundational to God's love, to deliver her from the wrath to come. That is why her heart has been opened. Paul, writing to another city of Macedonia later, says to the Thessalonians, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Beloved, there is no more clear and excellent ministry of love but to deliver a soul from the wrath to come. The risen Christ leads us in that ministry. He is indefatigable in that ministry. This is why he opens Lydia's heart, because it was promised to her before the foundation of the earth that she would not be crushed under the coming wrath of God against his enemies, but that she would be raised in union with Jesus Christ. Beloved, this ministry, even in this room today, is not about making you a Christian, though that would follow if our ministry had success. This ministry is about delivering you and your sons and your daughters from the wrath of God that is coming upon this world. 
how great is his love that he has given his one and only son so that you would not be crushed under the millstone of his wrath. For you would not want any God to be God who cannot defeat his enemies. Beloved, this is why your heart has been opened. Because God has this this wonderful love for you to keep you from the wrath that's coming on the world. And Christian, let me challenge you today. You must think rightly about what God has done. If you are speaking correctly and truly and into his honor, you speak of him opening your heart. That's why you love Jesus. Not because you read a good book and figured it out. You love Jesus because he stooped down from heaven and he touched your heart and opened it. And he shined the light of the gospel in it and you could see. And now you cannot not see the glory of the crucified Christ. Crucified for your sins and raised up for your eternal life. All the good that had already taken place in Lydia's life, this formation that preceded the arrival of Paul, all that good was not going to spare her from the wrath to come. It was still good. If you live in a city surrounded by monotheists who don't want to kill you, that would be a good. And all the good that's done in the world is done by God. But not all the good that is done in the world is saving good. He came and saved her. I have one more thing to add in this morning's message about the kingdom of the cross. What do you suppose becomes of Lydia? Well, this is where I want us to just briefly look ahead. I have two more messages coming from this chapter, but just a brief peek ahead. A young girl who has a spirit of divination under the control of the devil starts stalking Paul in Philippi and yelling out who he is and why he is there. And this causes such a disruption in the city that the tradesmen of the city feel that people are going to stop worshiping their idols and stop benefiting from this girl's ability to see the future under the care of Satan. And they're afraid they're going to lose money. And so they get Paul arrested. They grab him. They strip off his clothes. They beat him. And they throw him in in jail. He and Silas. And he gets out of jail. And we'll see that soon enough. And when he gets out of jail, do you know where Paul goes? Before he leaves the city, without the key to the city? Verse 40 says, So when they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. When you leave prison, the authorities are going to take a special interest in whose house you visit. Paul goes to Lydia's because he's staying at her house. She has said in verse 15, if you have found me faithful to the Lord, come and stay in my house. 
F.F. Bruce said, as soon as the heart opens, so does the home. Fascinating that the Philippian jailer says the same thing after he's baptized by Paul and Silas. Stay here! Man, this is like hospitality overload suddenly. But here's the thing. Lydia has a big house. She can house these apostles and workers of the harvest. She has a household in her own family, maybe children, maybe servants. But she has a big house. She is a wealthy woman. Most scholars think that she is the lead wholesaler of purple fabric in Macedonia. If they arrested her associate Paul because he was a risk to the economy, because of his habits that they said in verse 21 are unlawful for a Roman to accept or practice. If they arrested that Paul, Lydia's associate, do you know what that means for Lydia? It's not hard to see. The cross that was on Paul's back is suddenly going to be on her house and on her business. We don't know how she will navigate it. As carefully as she did, I'm sure it was honorable. But beloved, the cross of Jesus Christ is the power of God. And when you are united to him who died on a cross for your salvation, and he puts that cross upon you for the rest of your life so that you do not hope in earthly prosperity, you are really, truly going to be losing in this world. Don't try so hard not to be a loser. There's no way to escape it. You are truly losing right now. You could all be at work right now. I could get you a job just on Sundays, wrapping sandwiches in a kitchen, and you could earn an extra 600 bucks a month. You're losing GDP right now. This hour is, this day is literally a royal waste of time to the GDP of this country, and you are complicit because the cross is upon you. Beloved, it's your Lord and heaven's will for this cross to be on you, to be on Lydia, to be on Paul, to be on Silas. Why? Because he loves his body so much, his church. He refuses to let them be caught up in the devil's cunning where you set your hopes and prosperity in the earth. Your treasure is in heaven, in your own flesh and bone now, seated at the right hand of God, Jesus Christ, who has opened your heart to his glory. Let us pray. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for squirming and squiggling. We confess, O oh Lord, that the great trouble with living sacrifices is that we tend to crawl off the altar and run. O oh Lord, give us a fresh sight of he who is in heaven, ruling and directing all things for his church, keeping Paul out of Asia, out of Bithynia, bringing him to Macedonia, bringing him to the river, bringing him to the jail. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you are the governor of our lives. But most importantly, Lord, we thank you that it pleased you to befriend us with your favor and to come down and open our hearts to touch that which is unclean and heal it 
Lord Jesus, we praise you for this touch and for the sight of your glory that it has given us that will not be taken away. We pray that you would strengthen our hearts in the true hope of the children of God, that Jesus Christ is at your right hand in our flesh and bone, and he and his everlasting kingdom belong to us. We pray, Lord, that this would make us unafraid to live under the cross in this age, unafraid to associate with Christians everywhere. Let us not be like those of whom Christ will be ashamed when he comes with his Father and holy angels. Let us not be ashamed of his name, of his apostles, of his prophets. Let us not be ashamed of his people. Let us not be ashamed of his gospel. Let us take up the cross in our holy associations with all those who boast in Jesus, crucified and risen. Help us, O Lord. Help our sons. Help our daughters. Open their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.